Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. No, this morning I want to talk to you. I'm just going to teach a little bit this morning. And I want to talk to you about faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. The book of Hebrews, we all know very well, uh, is often referred to as the faith chapter. That's the chapter that says, by faith Moses did, and by faith Abraham, and by faith, and by faith, and talks about all these wonderful works and amazing things uh, that happen throughout Scripture because of faith. But Hebrews 11.1 starts out with a very simple definition, and many of you know this very well, because people say, well, what is faith? What is faith? I've heard people in the world you know, say, talk about things like blind faith. They'd say, well, you know, you just... You, you think about that you believe in God, you, you are the way you are as a Christian because of blind faith. And that always, I always remarked what an interesting comment that was because faith in itself has nothing to do with what you see. So blind faith is, is sort of a redundant comment, if you will, right? All faith is blind faith if it's truly by the definition of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, well, that just in and of itself seems kind of irrational and kind of silly. Well, I hope for something, and so that means that the existence of faith is there, and so I have faith because I just hope things work out. I hope someday I find a million dollars on the side of the road, and I, I hope that the Brewers win the next 12 World Series. And, you know, well, that's great, you know, and that's hope, and, and that's the substance of faith. So because I have that hope, and obviously I'm giving you ridiculous examples, but because I have that hope within me, I show some form of hope, that means that faith is therefore present, according to what Paul is saying to the Hebrews. He says, now faith is some substance of things hoped for, but it is the evidence of things not seen. And that's why blind faith is kind of a silly comment, right? It's kind of silly to say blind faith, or toward, and it was a critical comment. Well, that's just blind faith. In other words, the person who would say that is expecting that you would only operate on faith if you see things happening, right? Well, in God's world, faith by sight is worthless. We've got to believe in something. And the fact that I have that hope, there's an evidence there of things not seen and operating. God built that into us, into our spirits, to have that hope. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. Very period, very plain, excuse me. In 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about his words being commandments, being commandments of the Lord. He talks about being of Christ. He represents, Jesus impacted him so much, uh, indelibly uh, placed into his mind, into his heart, his very will and word when he knocked him off the horse on the way to Damascus and in it just endued upon him his, Christ's own nature and he just understood what that faith thing really represented. It's not about seeing. What we see is, is, is in some cases completely worthless. Sometimes we see things in a very dark way. We look at what's around us and what's happening around us and we just want to evaluate everything based on what we can look and we can tangibly hold and we can read and we can see. Well, if we see it, it must be. If we see this a certain way, then it just is going to be that way. When really we know that in the, in the, in the world of God, in, in, a, in a walk with God, there are things that are happening behind the scenes that are greater and mightier and more exciting and more powerful than what these eyes can see. Right? Remember the great Obi-Wan Kenobi? 
famous philosopher of ancient times said, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Right? Masters of illusion for, for centuries have operated on the idea that they can do things right in front of you through illusion and sleight of hand that make you think something's happening that's really not. Your eyes can be deceived. It makes faith all that much more powerful, doesn't it? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. See, there's a lot of wisdom in that. You guys make fun of my Star Wars thing, but (laughs) centuries of wisdom are built into that lore. Paul writes to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He encourages him. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold unto eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. What does he mean? Fight the good fight of faith. First of all, whatever that fight is, he says it's good. It's a good fight to stand for what you believe, the hope that's within you, that resides within you. Fight for that. In other words, stand for it. Lay hold to it. Don't be moved and, and, and rocked and taken off your world by what you see before you. It's worthy of a fight to say, no, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. You know why I believe? Because for 50 years I've been serving him. I have seen God do amazing things in my life. I've got testimony of things that are fantastic, healings that have happened in my family, miracles that have happened that can't be attributed to other things simply because through the power of prayer and faith, I chose to fight the fight every day. Yes, God's gonna come through. Yes, this can happen. Yes, God can make it happen. Paul thought it so worthy that he used the terminology fight. Sometimes people can be very easily wavered in their faith. A few rough things happen in life. How about a a bad medical diagnosis? Boy, that kind of thing can just knock you right on your back. It can challenge your faith. And that's why the Bible says that for for those of us that are strong in faith, we believe in healing. We're strong in faith. Call the elders of the church. Lay hands on one another. You understand that faith... Faith in itself is something that is not a constant. You become a Christian and you dedicate your life to God. You don't suddenly just have like this this meter that goes, now I'm full of faith and stays there forever and ever. Doesn't work like that. Faith is actually in flux. Faith is not a constant. Why? Because we're human beings and we do allow our eyes to tell our story. We do allow our eyes to sort of dictate our emotions and knock us back and forth in our ears and so forth. The things that we hear and we see seem so real and so tangible, but sometimes it is just an illusion. It's just a sleight of hand. And so faith goes up and down like this. And that's why we as brothers and sisters are called in Scripture to gather together with one another. If my faith is strong, I've had a great week. And I have, by the way, I've had a great week. And there's some great things that have happened. And God's done some great stuff this last week. I've had some wonderful conversations. We had a terrific dinner here last night for all the 2020 Bible readers. Well, some of them were there. My wife and I went and got a big thing of barbecue brisket. Oh, you missed it. Mm, It was so good. I ate last because I was the server. But we had a big dinner last night, great bunch of people here, wonderful fellowship. My wife made homemade mac and cheese, homemade baked beans, homemade desserts, homemade coleslaw. It was so good. Carl really needs more of that. 
So we had a great week. My faith is strong right now. And if somebody came in these doors and approached me and said, hey, pastor, you know, X, Y, Z happened or something's going on. I'm, I'm just not feeling good or something happened. Oh, I'm really worried. My, my family member, something's going on, this and that, whatever the case may be. Well, I'm full of faith. I'm strong. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab a couple of people. Who else is full of faith this morning? Brother Bill, you're full of faith. Sister Clara, you're full of faith, right? Brother Barnham, you're full of faith. Sister Brown, you're full of faith. Come on up. Let's get together and pray for this person because we're strong in faith today. And by the laying on of hands, we extend and we actually, we actually exude that faith to that person. We build faith for them. We stand in the gap and we extend that faith. You know why? Because we're fighting the good fight of faith every day. Devil, you're not gonna knock me down. World, you're not gonna knock me down. Bad person out there that did something bad to me, you're not gonna knock me down because every day I'm fighting the fight of faith. It's worth the fight. If Paul said it, then it must be worth it. And I'm gonna keep fighting the fight of faith. Some days it's gonna be down here and I'm gonna reach out and say, brother, I'm gonna please, can you come and pray with me because my faith is down here, but I'm still fighting. I didn't give up. I didn't cash in. I didn't say, forget this whole church thing. Forget all this. God let me down. I'm out of here and I give up the fight. Never, 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 never do that. But I know who to go to. I know there's some brothers and sisters right here in this room that I can say, hey, listen, I'm having a hard time. Can you come pray with me? Now, a few weeks down the road when I'm feeling strong again, I'm feeling mighty in faith. Guess what? When you're down, Sister Missy, when you're having a struggle, then I'm gonna be there for you because I'm gonna fight the fight of faith for you too. Okay? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 and 23, back to the book of Hebrews, it tells us there, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Again, Paul, such powerful words, such incredibly important direction. Let us hold fast. Hold fast the profession of your faith. I don't care if the house is burning down around you and all of your animals are dead and all of your livestock have been killed and all your crops are, I'm talking Job now, right? (laughs) Everything was collapsing around Job. Everything was going down. He lost his family. He lost his his livestock, his wealth, his children, etc. Everything is burning down, but Job was fighting the fight of faith. He held fast the profession of his faith. Even his wife His wife looked at him and said, just curse God and die, you dummy. What are you doing? Obviously, God hates you. Job said, no. I'm gonna hold fast the profession of my faith. And so I don't care what tempest you're swirling around in or what's going on in your life, what challenges come your way, what medical descriptions come along, what, what kind of a diagnosis, I don't, what's going on in your finances. Folks, just hold on. Hold fast to that profession of your faith. I believe in God. God's going to bring me through this because I'm telling you what, this pastor has lived it. This pastor has lived almost financial destruction. Many of you heard that story I talked about when we bought that house up north when my job had transferred several years ago. The whole thing was a disaster. They lied to us. They lied on the condition report. The building was actually collapsing on itself. They built it themselves. We ended up in a lawsuit. The wall was black. I was looking at the bleakest situation. The bank that Bridge loaned us up there was, was hitting my credit. We were going down the tubes fast. We didn't have any money. And everyone's going, how are And I'm just... <laughs> I mean, I wasn't doing jumping jacks and woo, you know, twirling batons or anything. But, 
But I kept a face, I kept a strong face because I held fast to my faith. Now, in my prayer closet, you better believe I was going, oh God, God, I need you today. I don't see it. I don't see the solution, God. I don't see how I'm going to get out of this. I don't see it's going to destroy my family. We're going to be living in a cardboard box. I mean, you better believe I was on my knees, but I was holding fast to my faith. I didn't curse God and die. God, forget you. You left me in this situation. I'm out. I'm done being a Christian. This whole thing's fake. No, 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 no. I didn't do that. I held fast to my faith. And all of a sudden, one day, the attorney said, hey, you know, you need to send me some paperwork over here. They sent me disclosure paperwork. She said, you need to go through all that. I'll save you some money. You and your wife go through the disclosure paperwork and see if you find anything weird. I said, okay, I don't know what that means, but we had a box full of paper like this. Well, the owner's attorney sent us all that paperwork. It was from previous buyers that were trying to buy the place and rejected it. So hundreds and hundreds of pieces of paper all over our living room. All of a sudden, I pull out this piece of paper and it was a condition report from a previous buyer. And the condition report said this structural failure and the septic was failing and this was failing and this was failing. And I'm going, now wait a minute, our condition report didn't say any of that. So I called the attorney. I said, I've got a condition report here. She said, you what? Where did you get that from? I said, it's in the disclosure paperwork. You mean that the attorney sent you? I said, yeah, he sent all this over. Here the dopey attorney that they had could have easily just went, and thrown that away. She said, we got a case. She said, get that to my office immediately. Well, we started rolling in the process. Guess what? All of a sudden, my faith, which was right about down here, went, and we had another meeting, and another meeting. Now, we still had no idea how this is all going to come out. We're facing utter and complete disaster. Our credit is destroyed. Like, we've got, I think we had like two points left in our credit. What's your credit score? Two. (laughs) Then she says, I saw something fishy in the bridge loan with the bank from Milwaukee. She said, send me that paperwork too. I said, why? What, what's the deal? A few days later, she called me. She said, we're countersuing. I said, what? Because they were suing me by this point. They wanted their money. She said, they didn't do this paperwork properly. They didn't give you the proper disclosures. They did everything wrong. They're coming after you. I owed them, I owed them something like $40,000 in interest for this bridge loan, Right? She says, everything is all wrong. I, I got to look into this. We're countersuing. So I'll take you to the, to, the, to the bottom line. She went back, countersued the bank. They recognized that they would be in trouble with bank regulators, wiped everything completely out, took the $40,000 off our books. They had to go back and expunge our credit back to 100%, close the loan completely out. We won the lawsuit. The, the people that we were in lawsuit over went out and found some rich farmer who came in and bought the house off and gave us a check for the original purchase price, and we walked away clean. Amen. Now, the attorney... Wonderful Judy, the attorney that I was working with the entire time in this process, great, great lady, fantastic attorney, kept saying, you guys just need to file bankruptcy. You just need to file bankruptcy. Just file bankruptcy. Just go out. She said, go out and rack up any credit cards you got, buy a car, get clothes, get furniture, do everything you want to, and then file bankruptcy. I said, Judy, I can't do that. 
that's akin to theft. I can't knowingly go and take all these things from retailers. She says, but it's the law. It's how it works. It's not theft. It's legal. You can do this. They're not going to take it from you. That doesn't matter. Paul said, all things are right for me, expedient for me, but not all of them are correct or right. In other words, just because the law says something is okay doesn't make it morally correct. There's a lot of things that our laws allow that are legal. Amen? Come on. There's a lot of things that law allows that are wrong in the sight of God. And I said, no, I cannot file bankruptcy. And she, I knew she looked at me, you're an idiot. What are you thinking? You gotta do this. I said, Judy, God is gonna pull us through. God is gonna pull us through. She said, I appreciate your faith, Russ, but come on, you got little kids. This is a bad situation. You're never gonna be able to buy a home again. And on and on and on. And we showed up at that court case and they had buyers and the buyers bought us back out and the bank expunged our credit. You see, when God's at work, he didn't just fix the situation, he makes you whole. And I laid, held fast to my faith in the face of it. Folks, I'm gonna tell you, I wanted to do the bankruptcy thing in my flesh. I thought, oh, that'd be so great. Just get this. But I knew in my heart that it would have been morally wrong and a complete failure and an abandoning of my faith. And I just kept telling her, God's going to bring us through, Judy. God's going to bring us through. I promise you. I don't see it. I don't see it. I'm so worried about it. And then she got tough. She said, well, listen, if this goes to court, see, we were in preliminary. She said, if this goes to court, I can't help you because I'm going to need a lot of money up front for a for, uh, uh, retainer. I said, it's not going to go to court. Well, I don't know. I don't know. They don't have any money. The other family filed bankruptcy and they didn't have anything. And I, I don't know where this is going to come from. The picture was black. I mean, it looked bleak. I, I used to say it, it felt like I was standing in front of a giant black wall. And I didn't see under it or over it or side. I could not see any possible way that this was going to work out. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. <laughs> Holding fast onto that faith when the surgeon looked at me and said, Mr. Cordell, I'm sorry, but... We took that tumor out of your daughter and it was spiky and it was ugly and it was huge. It was the size of a liter bottle, a tumor the size of a liter, liter bottle attached to her ovary. And this one looks bad. And she was gray in her face and, and my wife is sitting there with her eyes wide open like this. And she looked at me and I said, Mm-mm, you know why? Because prior to that surgery, I came into this room and I laid down flat here on this floor and I said, God, I'm gonna hold fast to my faith. I know you're gonna not take my daughter from me. I know you're gonna do something here, God. Just talk to me. Just speak to me, Lord. Just give me something that says you're not gonna allow my daughter, my, my only sweet princess, to die because of this cancer, this, this prognosis that they're giving us. Tell me something, God. And I laid here and I prayed and I held fast to my faith and I didn't hear nothing. Zero. And I got up off the floor and I sat right here in this seat and I held my head low and I just thought, God, you gotta talk to me. You gotta give me something here. I'm believing in you, Lord. I've seen you do it before. I've seen you do it for other people. My faith wanted to give in. I wanted to cash it in and say, just forget it. I've lost her. I started thinking about what it's like to live as a parent with a lost child. I was going all that through my mind. And I stood up. I just gave it one more. God, thank you for everything you've done. And I turned around and I started walking down this center aisle, head hanging low. And as I got about right here by Sister Ruth, 
I hear that still small voice speak gently into my ear. She's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. I've got this. Go to the surgery. See that surgeon with that look in her face. We took that tumor out and it's, it's spiky. It has all the earmarks of a cancerous tumor. We're going to have to send it off to pathology. She started talking about uh, cancer treatment and uh, chemotherapy. We're going to have to get her set up on appointment right away. We want to get this thing going pretty quickly here. We, they had to open her up completely. They were so worried that it was a cancerous tumor. They had to open her up completely because if they tried to take it out through all the, you know, the tubes and the, whatever they do with extraction stuff, and all, they were afraid to break it open and cancer cells would pour into her abdomen. And, and so it had to be looking at me with that look in her face. And I remember that voice. That still small voice that spoke to me and said, I've got her. She's going to be okay. My wife looked at me with those eyes, those big eyes. Honey, what do you think? She was trying to draw from my faith because I was holding fast to the voice that I heard in my ear that said, she's going to be okay. And I looked at my wife with those big eyes. I know she was waiting for an answer. She was looking to me to build her faith because hers was real low. And I looked at her and said, nope, she's fine, hon. I already heard from God. She said, okay, we're going to send this thing off to pathology. We'll let you know. It'll be a couple of weeks. That was a Tuesday night. Thursday evening, my daughter's resting comfortably in my recliner in the living room. I'm in the kitchen chopping up vegetables for dinner. I didn't even know she was on the phone. I didn't even know she got the call. She's over 18. They don't call us anymore. I'm sitting there chopping vegetables, and I look up, and here's my daughter waving her cell phone back and forth, sitting in the chair, and I'm, I'm going, what's going on? She said, that was pathology. It's benign. There ain't nothing wrong with it. It's not cancer. I stood there. I stood there chopping vegetables, bawling my eyes out like a baby. There weren't any onions on the counter. That's the God we serve. That's the power of faith. Amen. I could tell you a thousand more stories, but I've only got another hour up here, so just kidding. I'm going to take you into the book of James. Remember I said that faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. Faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, that's a noun, Brother Cordell. You don't know your English language. Faith is a verb. In James chapter 2, remember that, that James grew up in a really cool household. Anybody know where James grew up? In the house of Jesus. Yeah, he was Jesus' half-brother. Joseph and Mary went the conventional method on this one. <laughs> Joseph and Mary had a child, and they called him James, and he grew up in the household of Jesus. And of course, imagine what that was like. Imagine what was imparted upon James, the half-brother of Jesus. And in James chapter 2, we just get wonderful, wonderful message of the message of faith and how it works. And here's why it's a verb. Let's go into James chapter 2. Let's start down at verse 14. Should be up on the screen up here. Yep, James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. It says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? Now, if you look, I'm going to skip you real quick over to the book of Ephesians. You don't have to go there. Ephesians chapter 2 and 10, Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, for we are his workmanship. Listen now, just listen to every word. It's so powerful. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. 
If all we have is faith and we just sit here on our nice little lump of faith and we wrap ourselves in it and clothe ourselves in it and warm ourselves up and we see wonderful things happen for me, that was my daughter that God took care of and that was my financial situation that God took care of. If we just wrap ourselves up in that, what good are we? We're created, for Jesus, by, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we're going to be people of faith, it's not enough to say, I have faith. Paul even questions, can faith alone save you? Now, he told the Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2 and 9, right? In other words, you can't make yourself saved, but clearly we were saved unto good works. In other words, it should accompany our faith. You see, every time I had to talk to that attorney, why am I not filing for bankruptcy? When people would walk up to me and say, holy cow, uh, Brother Court, how in the world are you getting through this situation with a smile and, and, and on your face and all this stuff? And I'd say, by faith, by faith. But let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what happened this week. Let me tell you what's going on. That attorney, she got a full lineup of testimony from me. See, those were the works. I can show her my faith. She saw the works of God, but I continued to impress upon her, Judy, just hang with me. God's going to do this. Just This is the God that we serve and encourage her to get a hold of that. Paul also wrote to Titus, this is a faith, in Titus chapter three and eight, this is a faithful saying and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Faith is a verb. We got to do James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We've got to do some things. Faith is about works. Not works to save yourself. It's the works that come after. Understand? He says there in that, first, in that 14th verse, can faith save you? In other words, he knows it can't exclusively. Now, if you go on to verse 15, it says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, you give him not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? In other words, if they come up and say, listen, I, I'm really hurting. I don't have clothes. I don't have food for my kids. I don't have everything. And you say, you know what? I have faith that God's going to take care of you. See you later. What good have you done? You haven't. But if you take action, works of righteousness, good works, Show your faith. I got, I've got money in the bank right now. I've got some extra clothes. I've got some things I can hand you. You know what, partner? You know what, friend? Let me see what I can do to help you out. That's what we're called to do. Faith is a verb. It's an action word. We've got to put it into action, right? Now look what he says as he go on in 17. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. It doesn't say faith is meager, Faith is relatively powerless. Faith is somewhat ineffective. It says faith without works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I'll show you thee my faith by my works. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to people who lived under the old law. Jews, right? Right? 
Under the old law, the Jews had all these works that they had to do. Read the book of Leviticus. It was works after works after works after works from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night. Everything was prescribed for them. Every detail, every step, what they could wear, what they could eat, how they could talk, how they could walk, where they were to go, how they'd plant their crops, what kind of animals they could put together under the yoke. Everything was prescribed to them in works and works and works. And what he's saying is, you can show me your works, but I'm talking about faith. You've got to put the two of them together under the new law, under grace. We've got a whole different picture. We can operate in faith, but you've got to be doing something still. The works are still important. They're not the only thing. Does that make sense? Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God and thou doest well. The devils also believe and they tremble. Let me read that again. Thou believest that there are three gods. Three co-powerful, co-equal, and co-existent gods side by side talking to one another. Thou believest that there is one God. You're O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. You believe that there's one God, and the Jews were one God believers. There's no, there is no multifacets in the Jewish tradition. None. They wore it on their heads. They wore it on their shoulders. They put it up above the door handles or the door lintels in their homes. Every single home, every doorway had that inscribed in something called a phylactery. And it said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They lived it every single day. And Paul knew it and he knew it and he was raised in it. He said, you believe that there's one God, thou doest well. But listen to what that says. What he says the devils believe the devil God and they tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? In other words, he's saying, are you gonna get it? Do you understand? O vain man. <laughs> In other words, you think you know everything? You think you got it all worked out? But faith without works is dead. See, in Titus chapter three, Paul breaks down the understanding between the works of righteousness and the works of salvation. He breaks them apart. If you look in Titus three and five and read down through there, he breaks the difference down between what is salvation works and what is the works of righteousness. He separates the two. That's why he told, he said in 3.8, you've gotta be careful to maintain good works. Faith has to be a verb. We can't just sit on our laurels. We can't just sit back and say, I believe God, this is great, and feed and feed and feed. Verse 21 says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? He's asking that as a question. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? Abraham just... He took him to the altar over his only son. What incredible, powerful faith. But it was a work. It was faith in action. Faith was a verb in Abraham's hands. He was willing to stand over the altar knowing that God was going to provide, knowing that God was going to do something. Could you imagine Sarah at that time? Where was she? At home tied up and in a closet, I think. I know my wife would have to be tied up in a closet. I said, honey, I'm gonna take Kyle out. I gotta sacrifice him today, but I'll be back in a little while. <laughs> what? 
But his works, his works of faith took Isaac to the altar, tied him up, put him on a slab, put the knife in his hand and raised it up. Come on, how many of you could do it? How many of you could put that kind of work to your faith? And God provided the ram in the thicket just in time. Boy, God is a a God of just in time. In the manufacturing world, we call that J-I-T. Just in time manufacturing, making it just in time when the customer needs it. Don't inventory it, just right when it's needed. God is a J-I-T God. Verse 23 goes on, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. How about that? I want to be called the friend of God. I want God to know me as his friend. How do you do it? By putting your faith into action. Making faith a verb and not a noun. Verse 24 says, You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. See, even in, in, the, in the Christian culture of today, it's put out there that if you just operate by faith, if you just show up and you just say, I believe God and I'm a Christian, you just declare yourself a Christian and just do all the Christian-y things, you know, and, and, and you just declare that and you just live on those laurels. That's not right according to the word of God. You continue to be justified by putting faith into action and making it a verb, the works that you do. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Notice how Paul takes, excuse me, James takes these two radical, radically different people. Here's Abraham, Father Abraham, the great and mighty Father Abraham that the Jews honored and was part of lore and legend and all these amazing things that God did for him, right? And here, this is Father Abraham. They reference him. You can read in, in, I think, four different chapters of Galatians. Paul talks about Abraham and on and on and on. They reference back to Abraham. He's this great and the great and mighty Abraham, the father of all nations. And then he contrasts it to Rahab the harlot. I love this. This is so perfect in the will of God. Some of us are never going to be an Abraham. I'm probably never going to be an Abraham. I was on the floor slobbering and crying and begging God to save my daughter. That wasn't really Abrahamic. But God still honored my prayer. Rahab was a harlot. In other words, she was a prostitute. She lived in the wall of Jericho. She's the one that tipped off the the spies to say, hey, listen, they're coming to get you. You know, God used her. There was a work there that even though she could have just been a Jericho, I mean, listen, they destroyed her home too, you know. When Joshua circled the city seven times and God said, blow the horns and blasted it, there wasn't a stone left. That includes Rahab's home too. But by faith and by works put into action, this lowly person, this harlot, the, the, the dregs of society, God used a dregs of society person to operate in the works of faith that not only saved the people of Israel, but saved her as well. See, that's a wonderful snapshot of the mercy and grace of God. That no matter what we did and who we were and how we were as Christians in this life, whether we were an Abraham or whether we were a Rahab, he works through all of us. That's the God that we serve, amen? Amen. When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way, she gave them the way out. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
Many times in the course of my walk, I've encountered people of other traditional backgrounds and faith backgrounds, and, and they find out what I represent and the, and the faith that I ascribe to. I hold fast to it. I stand firm in it. Never, never quarrel, never argue, never fight. But I've been told many times, oh, you people, you think you save yourself with your works. It's all about works. It's works, it's works, it's works. And I say, I, every time, have you read the second chapter of the book of James? Have you seen what Jesus' half-brother had to say? Again and again and again, he says, I think it's three times. Faith without works is dead. Titus, it's not the works of the regeneration of the Holy Ghost or the washing. It's the works of righteousness. Faith is a verb, and we need to get a hold of the works. So what are the works, Brother Corda? What's the answer to this whole thing? You can stand this morning as we wrap up. What are the works? What are works of righteousness? Given the opportunity when the attorney says, hey, you should file bankruptcy, give her a testimony. Tell her why you're not gonna file bankruptcy. When they're standing in front of your face and saying, holy cow, how can you go through this situation? Or when the surgeon's looking you at the face and saying, no, I'm sorry, your daughter has, your daughter has cancer. Everything about this thing looks like cancer. Stand and look in their face and say, listen, let me tell you about the God that I serve. And here's why I'm gonna tell you that that report's gonna come back because that's what I told the surgeon. I said, no, it's not gonna be cancer. How do you know that? I said, listen, I prayed about this. I know you may not understand, but I prayed about this thing and God, I believe God spoke to me and spoke into my heart and said, she's gonna be okay. Now, I never got a chance to go back and talk to that surgeon again and, and say, hey, see, I told you, but I would love an opportunity to sit down and say, now, what do you think about that? See what God can do? Do you want to get a hold of a piece of that? Would you like to be a part of what God can do in your life? That's the works of righteousness. That's putting faith into action. That's why faith needs to be a verb. Amen? Amen. All right. Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, God. We appreciate you. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We appreciate all that you do. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.